Hello and welcome to Urban Flag, the podcast on how cities are developing local solutions to transnational challenges. I am your host, Lorenzo Kilgren Grandi, and joining me today is a moderator, Martina Rogato, Sustainability Advisor and Head of the Italian Delegation to Women20, the stakeholder engagement group of G20 for gender equality. Hello Martina, thank you very much for being with us today. Lorenzo, thank you so much for the invitation. Today we will discuss one of the longest lasting challenges of urban societies, gender equality, a topic that needs to be addressed in this difficult time more than ever. The sad undeniable truth is that in cities around the world, both small and big, poor and rich, global or marginalized, women have to face a series of obstacles intended to preserve gender-based privileges. In a moment when the world is facing probably the biggest challenges of recent history, understanding and addressing such issues has become even more compelling. Sure, virtually all humanity, regardless of gender, is directly or indirectly touched by the pandemic. But the crisis extends its remit well beyond its appalling health component. Unfortunately, this is no news. Just like previous emergencies, COVID-19 is eating harder those groups that, for a variety of reasons, find themselves marginalized. Beyond shedding light on the implication of the crisis on gender equality in cities, we will try today to explore how this crisis can create the conditions for stepping up in our path to gender equality. After all, who in their right minds would prevent half the world population from fully contributing to solving the crisis and building a happier, brighter future? To discuss this topic, we have a panel of highly inspiring women whose everyday life is devoted to women empowerment. Ms. Amanda Fletti, Coordinator, UCLG Committee of Social Inclusion, Participatory Democracy and Human Rights. Professor Pam Rajput, Head of the Indian Delegation to Women20. And Ms. Julia Machi, Lead of the Cities for Women program at Cities Alliance. Welcome to everybody and thank you very much for being here with us today. So I would like to start with a question to uh, Ms. Amanda Fletti. The committee you coordinate aims at articulating the common voice of local governments in the fields of social inclusion, participatory democracy, and human rights. Your action for, gen for gender equality and women's empowerment is deeply inspired by the concept of the right to the city for women. Can you tell us more about this approach and its impact? Thank you, Lorenzo, for this invitation. Um, when we refer to women and to the right to the city, we are referring to two very important and historical processes of UCLG's constituency since its creation. Um, on one hand, um, the recognition of the role of women in local life, and this commitment of, of UCLG has been developed through different declarations over the past years. Uh, the most important is the Paris Global Agenda for Equality of Women and Men in Local Life, adopted in, in 2013. But there was also uh, previously the European Charter for Equality of Women and Men, uh, signed in 2006. Um, this declaration called to increase participation of women in local decision-making, but also the necessity to promote local policies in order to improve women's empowerment, but also to improve their life conditions with a special focus on gender violence. The second uh, very important commitment of UCLG constituency is the adoption of the right to the city. Uh, what we call Right to City is, um, I would say, a call for action to transform local urban agenda under principles of social spatial justice and participatory democracy. How to promote a renewed social contract at the local level? How can cities be co-created with the citizens? How can we protect and promote human rights at the local level? 
all these current urban challenges uh, are a way to think on the way we can respond to the social demands. <coughs> and the right to the city for us is the way to promote these urban challenges and also to promote uh, the necessity to put the citizens' needs at the heart of local agenda. After the recognition of the right to city in 2011, in the framework of Habitat 3 and the new urban agenda, we started at UCLG and uh, in the committee to develop the concrete component of the right to city in collaboration with the global platform of the right to city, an international network of civil society organization. Um, this work dedicated to the component of the right to city highlight the importance of gender equality and of women. Um, the defense of women's rights appeared as a clear and urgent issues for us. Uh, it was claimed both by civil society organization, but also by our constituency of local and regional government. Under the leadership of Mexico City, Barcelona and Montreal, um, we started working uh, in the committee at the, on the right to city of women highlighting that gender inequalities continue to profoundly impact our cities in areas such as poverty, division of labor, domestic violence, vulnerability in public spaces, or limits in democratic participation. These three mayors of Mexico City, Montreal, and Barcelona uh, published last year an open letter through our committee to defend this right to city of women. I think that the main message they want to share uh, next to all the mayors committed to defend gender equality within UCLG is that uh, local and regional governments have a strong responsibility to improve the condition of women and that they should develop and support specific policies in this regard because they will have a strong impact while building more inclusive, more democratic and more sustainable cities for all, not only for women. Uh, and I think there were very specific uh, saying that the, the, the cities needs to be not only uh, for men, but for women, and that's a fight for having cities for all. Thank you, Lorenzo. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Ms. Fleti. Now let's move uh, introducing talking with Professor Rajput. <coughs> Professor Rajput, um, I would like to ask you uh, how has the COVID-19 crisis impacted uh, women's life in Indian cities? And uh, was it, what is the overall impact on uh, marginalized groups? Thank you, Martina and Lorenzo, for organizing this uh, dialogue. Uh, let me begin by saying it is unfortunate that in 2020, when we were all preparing to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Beijing Platform for Action and 40 years of the Convention on Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, which we call as Women's Charter of Rights, that this deadly virus, coronavirus, as we call, is in, you know, impacting the cities. Now, coming to the impact that it has had, two, three things I want to point out. One is the domestic violence. The domestic violence is globally there. But what is interesting is that during this lockdown, the cases of domestic violence are on the increase in the cities. Now, this is also a fact that most cases are still not being reported. Only reported cases we are talking about. So that is why we call it as kind of a shadow virus in the cities that is there. 
I would like to give you an example of a National Commission for Women has reported recently that uh, within two weeks time, the cases from 116 to 257 cases of domestic violence were, you know, they got the calls for. So this is only reported. Now the kind of domestic violence women are suffering in the lockdown is tremendous, you know. So the, the feedback that we get from our networks in the cities from other cities is very, very agonizing. That is one. And along with that, what is happening is because the police is busy and, you know, duties in preventing the violation of the lockdown. So the services that should be available, the support services, that is ordinarily that, that that should ordinarily be available under our domestic violence act they are not really available so one is the increase in the violence and the other is the support services you know almost coming to a halt so that is one impact the second impact that we feel in the cities is the loss of jobs and livelihood because of the lockdown of the factories Though the announcements are being made that the factories, if they are locked down, they should not lay off their employees. But as a matter of fact, the employees are being laid off and the poorest are being hit the most and women are the most affected over there. Then in cities, we also have, you know, migrant workers. Now they can't go home because there is a lockdown, no train services, no railway services and no air services. So they are, you know, struck. One is they have lost their livelihood. They have no jobs. These are construction workers, all, you know, migrant workers. And of course, the efforts are being made to put them into what we call as shelter, you know, temporary shelter homes are being created for them. The food is being provided, but they are really in this thing. Home-based workers are also affected because they are not getting ordered. So is the case with India has, you know, millions of self-help groups they are as much also affected. But along with that, what I feel is that India already is a country which has got a declining workforce participation rate. So the after impact of this corona is going to be when the economic recession is going to take place, which, is, which seems to be imminent, there's going to be further impact on the workforce participation rate of women. The third impact that I want to share with you in the cities is that because of the close down, right, as it is the women perform the care work, right, which we call as unpaid work, 66% women in India, you know, uh, do unpaid work as against 12% unpaid work done by women. But coming back to the point, because there is lockdown, right, the schools are closed, elderly are there. So the care that these women have to do at home, both of children, the elderly, and all the girls, because in cities, especially in India, and I'm sure this is true of most of the developing countries, that in cities, we depend upon the, uh, you know, services done by uh, maids and other helpers. Now, because they can't come, the entire burden, whether it is of washing or it is, you know, any, any small thing, falls on you. And uh, interestingly, you know, these days we hear, oh, look here, lockdown is not a bad idea. You see, Newton did such good work when there was lockdown during the plague in London. 
and so Shakespeare did a lot of work. But neither Shakespeare nor Newton had, you know, children to look after, nor to do the homework so they could do it. But what happens to the women? They have to do the, you know, whole care work. And so they, they are under stress and mental health is being affected of the women in the city. Along with the mental health, now those who are not working, it's okay. Those who are working, because of the lockdown, you have to work from home. So you do the homework as well as do your job from home. And so it, you know, stresses, you know, further. So as it is, what I'm trying to say is that there is, there is a gendered impact of the virus and there has to be, you know, gender responsiveness in terms of policies, be it the national governments, be it the local governments, or be it the global governments. And in that context, I just want to say one line more, that our W20, since you also are the head of the delegation of Italy of W20, you will recall that in the virtual meeting of the G20 countries, the W20 has submitted a statement, which is very, very important, that in the CN making of the management of this coronavirus, women should be there in the decision making. It is very, very important, apart from taking of the financial and labor inclusion. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Rajput, uh, for this insight on the Indian situation. And you also created this link with the international dimension that I would like to uh, strengthen now. We would like to try to broaden up a little bit our horizon and for that I will ask for the help of uh, Ms. Julia Macchi as said the lead of the Cities for Women program at Cities Alliance. So uh, Cities Alliance is the global partnership supporting cities to del deliver sustainable development and this goal is strictly connected to the 2030 agenda of the United Nations. So how are the United Nations and cities cooperating to the achievement of the sustainable development goals and more specifically, sustainable development goal number five, uh, which is devoted to achieve gender equality and empower all women and girls? Thank you, Lorenzo, for this invitation. I think it's very topical, also the, top, the, the theme that uh, you have chosen as Professor Ajput uh, just said COVID-19 is highlighting existing gender inequalities. So there is, of course, an emergency uh, that requires short-term actions, but also we need to start to think now about the long-term strategy for cities, how to recover, how to reimagine also the cities. And of course, women need to be at the center. So thank you. Uh, regarding the questions, uh, of course, as Cities Alliance, we believe that gender equality and sustainable urban development are extremely linked. So these linkages cut across social, economic, environmental and political dimensions of the sustainable development. And we know that the urban percentage um, of the world population is reaching 60% in 2030. So cities have a key role to play in promoting gender equality and empower women and girls. Uh, for instance, cities are on the front line of addressing violence against women. Uh, the, the, this topic has been already mentioned both in the public and private spheres. So your, through urban policies, through planning, through maintenance of public spaces, these are all essential tools in addressing violence against women. And as you mentioned, uh, the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development states 
that the main goal of SDGs and all the targets is to realize the human rights of all, but also to achieve gender equality and empowerment of all women. So it's really at the center of the 2030 Agenda. And uh, uh, there is the 2030 Agenda includes also a standalone goal on gender, SDG 5, but it also integrates a gender perspective into many of the 17 goals, including the 11, which is related to cities and communities. Then the new urban agenda also that is basically guiding the localization of SDGs also supports strongly the mainstreaming of gender equality and women empowerment. So there is a simultaneous effort at UN level in advancing the sustainable development goals, city development and urban agenda and achieve um, gender equality. So everything is there. We have the commitment, we have a roadmap. We need to but but what we what is missing is how to implement gender equality on the ground. So the issue is not anymore, I think, to recognize the importance of gender equality. We know that is important. We know that it's one of the top priority globally. But how we achieve it? So how we connect uh, the work at a city level, the the work at a community level, which is also very important, at the national level, and of course globally. And as you said, Cities Alliance is a global flat platform. So we focus on uh, promoting sustainable urban development, but also fighting urban poverty. And we involve cities associations such as uh, UCLG. Uh, so I'm very happy that uh, they are also part of this conversation. C40, but also multilateral organizations like UN Habitat and World Bank. And the community organization, Islam Dweller Organization. SDI, Islam Dweller International, is our members. So we have this opportunity, and when we talk about and we work on um, gender equality in cities, we are able to work across uh, different levels of governance. And we try, we do um, support actions at the national and local level. We focus on uh, project implementation and capacity building. We also try always to connect uh, the national urban strategy. So what is happening at national level, CDS, so the City Development Strategy, trying always to focus on the role and the participation of women in the development of City Development Strategy, but also community actions. A lot of innovation comes from the community and women are leading a lot of uh, this community action, um, slum dwellers group. So they are extremely vocal and present at the city and local level. Uh, so we support action, local action, but also we create a global dialogue among multilateral organizations. The EU is a very important interlocutor for us. We are also based in Brussels and cities and, uh, and community members. And we try also to highlight and report through also uh, knowledge product reports, local stories about women-led actions to give them visibility and increase also funding opportunities. So... Um, so this is, I think, this, this type of action, local, national, international, is extremely important and will be even more important, I think, now or after the COVID uh, crisis. Perfect. Thank you so much, Mitsumachi, for this overview on the Agenda 2030 and the role of Cities Alliance is very inspiring. And after the first, this first, let's say, P 
ping pong question. Uh, let's move to the first round of uh, our uh, workshop for our uh, dialogue and um, I was wondering uh, let's 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 come back to uh, meet Fliti um, well um, let's focus on uh, um, on uh, one example can you name uh, for example um, how the COVID-19, let's focus again on COVID-19 uh, crisis, uh, might negatively uh, impacts uh, on women's rights in uh, cities. Can you share us uh, one example or one challenging on it? Um, so as a, um, a, the colleague um, from India, Pam uh, Rajput was saying, uh, of course, I mean, the, the, the rising of domestic violence is a huge issue, issue of, of the lockdown measures. Uh, we all know the importance of the lockdown measures, but we are seeing uh, a, a huge uh, rise of, of domestic violence. In Europe, we, the, last week, we saw that there was a rising of, of 20% of domestic violence. In, in the region of Paris, it's like 30% rise of violence against women. Uh, in the UK, uh, the organization Refuge reported a 700% increase in, in calls to its helpline. So we are uh, facing a very complicated situation for uh, regarding the domestic violence and, and the exposure of women uh, to the, the violence of their husbands. Um, I think that's what we, we are seeing now is that different uh, local and regional governments across the world are taking very seriously this issue of, of uh, domestic violence. Cities like uh, Saint-Denis in France or Valencia in Spain are trying to work closely with, uh, with the structures dedicated to women's rights uh, to maintain the continuity of the action of public services in such contexts. Uh, we saw also that different cities are calling uh, to develop uh, emergency housing solutions uh, as a priority to respond to the, to this increase in violence uh, uh, against women. Um, I am thinking also about uh, the Saint-Saint-Denis in France, uh, again, who is uh, paying hotel rooms to keep abusive husband away from, uh, from home. So all of, of uh, I think there is a very important concern about this domestic violence uh, during the lockdown. lockdown. Um, and what uh, we see is that uh, several uh, local governments are trying to develop uh, concrete responses to face these challenges that we're seeing. But I am also thinking about uh, the, the effects and the impact of the crisis on women uh, regarding uh, their role, uh, because they are uh, at the front line during this crisis of the COVID-19. Most of the medical staff, most of the cleaning staff, most of the persons working with the old people are women and they are more exposed to the COVID-19. So uh, we know that uh, women, women are being a vulnerable, more vulnerable group and more exposed to the, to the coronavirus here. And we, I think it's important to highlight uh, this place of women during the crisis and see how we can respond, how we can better protect uh, women and 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 uh, and provide appropriate responses from the local level to 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 these uh, th threats. 
Thank you so much, Mitzvati. It's very interesting to let's say discover and share uh, on the impact of COVID nineteen uh, on women's rights in crisis. And uh, as many of you shared, for sure, domestic violence uh, is a really um, challenging, let's say, issues and problem uh, to to face. Thank you so much for your intervention. Now uh, let's move uh, to another um, related topic uh, uh, and a special focus on uh, women empowerment in developing countries. Uh, I'd like to ask uh, first to Professor Rajput, to then to Ms. Machi. Uh, according to you, uh, name just one, at least one obstacle to women's empowerment in developing countries and uh, a practical example on how cities can uh, overcome uh, overcome it. Uh, uh, Professor Rajput, uh, what do you think about it? Difficult to say one obstacle, right? Yes. Yeah. Martina, we always use the word gender equality and empowerment of women, right? Right. So when when equality comes, empowerment will come. When empowerment will come, gender equality will be there. So, you know, these two terms, they are related to each other. And it's very difficult to lay your fingers in developing countries on one obstacle, particularly countries like India, which have diverse population, right? And diverse in the sense, socially, culturally, economically, and the stereotypes that we have, you know, to handle those countries and have an empowerment is something very, very you know, critical. But I would say that if I were to say one obstacle, I will not prioritize, but just one obstacle, I feel it is the absence or minimal presence of women in decision-making bodies and institutions which continue to be patriarchal and hierarchical in nature. Unless we break that hierarchy, Unless we break those patriarchal institutions, we will not. So we need women in the CN-making bodies for that matter. I think that will go a long way. And in that context, urban local bodies can play a critical role, right? And that's why in India, we have been insisting, you know, reservation for women, you know, if they, they otherwise not, reservation for women in the local bodies. So for empowerment of women, women to be in decision-making processes and institutions from the feminist perspective is very, very critical. So we need uh, more women. I hope I am able to answer your question. Absolutely. So uh, we need more women in decision-making for sure in the world and in India. Um, thank you so much, Professor Rajput. And global level, Martina. Sure, at global level too. Because you know in G20, how many women Sherpas are there, right? How many women Sherpas? So when we keep on saying this is our agenda for empowerment of women, it doesn't really, you know, go with their thinking. They do the lip service. I'm, I may be excused for saying that, but real you know, they are not accepting. So women's empowerment will come when they will have voices. Exactly, exactly. Thank you so much, Professor. 
And I would ask the same question to Mitsumachi. So according to you, obstacle number one to, we, to gender equality and women empowerment uh, and uh, a practical example on how cities can overcome it. Uh, thank you so much, Mitsumachi. So I would like just to uh, add to what uh, professors just said. So I think, yes, uh, the representation at... Uh, Uh, decision-making level is important so to have women uh, in that position but also I would say capacity uh, for instance we are working a lot in Tunisia at the moment and uh, due to a, a recent uh, equality law um, that uh, basically um, states that <coughs> each um, political list needs to have uh, half of the uh, candidates uh, women Uh, the Tunisia now, in Tunisia, 35% of the municipal elected council members are women. So they are there. But the problem is that they don't have uh, often a strategic position or they, they have to also keep the responsibilities at home. So they don't have limited, they have limited time to dedicate to the new political commitment, commitments. So sometimes they even resign from, uh, from that role. And sometimes they also don't have experience in leadership, administration. So everything is very new. So this requires also support in terms of capacity building at, for example, local level. Uh, we need to support women to understand how they can really voice needs and uh, experience of women at city level and national level, and of course, in different political settings. So I would say, say both representation and capacity and real space. Then, I don't know, I, I would add, uh, uh, I've been, uh, the aspect of violence have been uh, said, already mentioned, and I think it's very important to mention it. Um, I think I would say more the women's fear in cities. And the fear includes uh, the feeling of being unsafe in public space due to the risk of sexual violence and verbal harassment. I think 35% of women worldwide have experienced like physical violence. And of course, we know that cases are, are underreported. But it's also due to the notion that certain public space and urban space, certain times are off limits for women and girls. So the kind of cultural notions. So this fear uh, and this feeling of being uh, uh, out of place uh, Um, limits really the freedom of women in cities. They constantly feel uh, unsafe uh, or at the center of attention. And of course, as been said, this fear is also related to domestic violence. There is a kind of shared narrative that puts a lot of attention to the unsafety of cities. Um, there are a lot of ranking about safety, safe cities. There are a lot of action also at the city level and sometimes are also related to gentrification of certain urban areas to make them safe. But in reality, the numbers show that women are more likely to be victim of violence uh, by family members rather than a stranger. So uh, there is also almost an attempt to keep women at home, you know, that is considering home as a safe place. And the stay home invite of this time with the covid have, of course, resulted in increase of domestic violence, as, as has been said. So it's, I think it's important to work both at, on private safety and domestic safety, connecting the two, and uh, on cultural, spatial, and economic factors. So it's not only about making uh, a public space uh, more welcoming and comfortable, 
but it's also important to work on the cultural and economic factors, having a kind of cross-cutting approach to violence and women fear in cities. And of course, there are cities are working on this. Uh, um, with Cities Alliance, we have worked with um, an organization called Safety Pin in India. Uh, we supported them and they basically create uh, an app um, for women to share uh, their feelings of insecurity at particular public space through a mobile app. And this is also connected with action at city level. So the data are shared with users, but also with key urban stakeholders, such planning department, and the police can provide input, they can intervene in public spaces. Thank you very much, uh, Ms. Machi, for this inspiring best practices that actually helps me a lot to move from uh, the problems that we have mentioned to the last part of our debate, which is about the possible solutions. So I think uh, uh, we all agree uh, that there is a consensus on the need to act, uh, but at the same time, uh, there is a need for guidance. There is a need for uh, uh, shedding light on the concrete action that can be implemented. And uh, I will ask for your support in this. Uh, let's try to do this uh, together. And I would like to start with a question to uh, Ms. Fleti. Uh, so uh, Professor Rajput mentioned uh, before the problem of the participation of women in decision-making. And with you, I would like to focus on the local decision-making. So what can we do in order to change this situation and make sure that post-coronavirus cities will have a higher participation of women in local decision-making? Um, I think that uh, Professor Dredge put, um, raised our concern about the, the, the cancellation of uh, Beijing Plus 25. Um, I think it's very important to highlights uh, the international efforts of several networks as Cities Alliance, as UCLG, but hand-to-hand -hand with civil society organization also um, to make uh, the, the, the challenge of women's rights at the heart of the global agenda. Um, one of, one of, of our current concern is to see how we're going to follow up on this, uh, despite the cancellation of uh, of the, the conference of the UN um, and see how we can still uh, make pressure um, to have this debate and to have this commitment to be strong uh, and, and to develop uh, for one side advocacy, raising awareness on, on the current challenges of, of women's rights, but also uh, trying to make strong commitment um, of action at the local level and in the global agendas. That would be that would be my, my, my first point. Um, the second point, I think it's uh, the networking between cities. Uh, we are having a lot of experiences developed across the world. Uh, we just heard uh, the colleague from Cities Alliance, uh, uh, Julia Matti, who were explaining in India what they are doing. It's the same in Tunisia. I mean, we are having a lot of experience and we need to connect all this experience, you know, showing uh, how uh, these uh, actions that are being led at the local level are changing, are making impacts. That's the way to build the post-COVID city. Um, I think also that the crisis that we are living now is uh, is a way to experience a new, maybe new way to act. Uh, when I was talking about the emergency housing for women, uh, it's very interesting to see that some cities are trying to 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 
implement the solution uh, and how we could, uh, after the crisis, uh, stay with this kind of, of emergency system uh, regarding uh, gender violence. Um, but it's not only about gender violence, as we were highlighting it all together. It's, it's also about political participation. It's also about uh, having women uh, deciding and designing the, the, the local policies. Uh, it's about uh, also listening um, and having a dialogue with civil society and feminist groups uh, to have uh, a successful response uh, and, and develop the different layers of policy process. This dialogue that we are having is very important uh, if we want to make uh, insightful change on, on, on the consideration of, of women's rights. Um, and finally, I would also highlight that uh, it's very important to integrate an intersex intersectional approach to policy that considers the needs of specific women who may see their situation aggravated because of their social class, because of the skin color, because of the sexual orientation. And this is, a, for example, a very new topic that uh, local and regional governments are bringing to the table, this sorry, this intersectional approach. Uh, and, and I think that's also is highlighting uh, the huge efforts made uh, from local and regional governments over the past decades, uh, and it, which are highlighting how local policies on gender equality are being uh, more and more consolidated across the world. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Ms. Leti. Um, you uh, talked about uh, this uh, cooperation that is an important tool for uh, connecting uh, best practices and boost the uh, progress uh, all around the world. Uh, I would like to uh, ask uh, uh, questions on that uh, to follow up with uh, Professor Ashput, um, asking her uh, in the framework of the global impact uh, uh, of uh, uh, the action of, for women's empowerment, what is the role of uh, the South-South cooperation? Uh, first, uh, let me also join my friend who was earlier talking about uh, SDG and particularly SDG 5, and then I come to your question. Is it okay? Uh, sure, Is it absolutely. Okay? Yeah. You know, I also very strongly believe that we need to have, and that will, you know, cover your question partly, that there is need for urban women's network, right? And this could be part of South-South cooperation. You know, I can link it with that. So this urban women's network is important, network with feminist perspectives and strong in advocacy. When I say women's network, that means there should be a network of, uh, you know, local bodies and people working at the local level. Because I very strongly feel, one, that SDGs cannot be realized unless they are realized in India, number one. And unless these SDGs are localized, they cannot be realized, and in that context, urban local bodies have a great role to play. And for that, when it comes to South-South cooperation, you see, on the basis of, basis of our knowledge, 
data and you know our capacity to organize best would be to have that kind of a network where we first focus on goal 5 itself goal 5 and if we can you know develop an action plan there could be a consultation through zoom there could be a consultation through the initiative that you have taken you know to really develop an action plan according to our capacities we share we our knowledge whatever you know we have and if we can develop an action plan as per the indicators of goal 5 and goal 11 because to me goal 11 is equally important which talks about urban local bodies so that cities are safe cities and cities are resilient cities right so both the goals need to be combined and an action plan should be prepared there should be a dashboard or what we can call as scoreboard for that matter right and all these issues that we have talked as of now whether they are in terms of discrimination or it is in case of you know violence or it is economic empowerment or it is unpaid work you know or access to resources and all that that all need to be addressed and if we begin at the local level with south south of cooperation it can be an excellent you know way of realizing that i just want to take this opportunity to share with you that we just started with the last year with the help of you know involving not help really we have engaged them because it is equally important to not only engage the local bodies it is also important to do the hand holding for that matter because most of the local bodies even do not know that such goals exist so we have to do the hand holding we have to create awareness and with the you know participation of the local city locals we tried last year to come out with what is known as safe city campaign violence free and safe city campaign both in public and private spaces so what we are talking right from the day time we started with our conversation and dialogue violence free city is a very very important component whether we want to talk of women in economic empowerment whether we want to talk of women in decision making you know bodies safe cities are both in public and private spaces this is a very very important component so i believe that if possible uh, we should make an attempt to set up urban women's network in Uh, in a, in our initiative for south south cooperation that can go a long way in you know at least paving the way for we we save by 2030 will be able to achieve the sustainable development goals and transformative agenda i have my doubts let me be very frank about that more so now that we have been derailed by this corona virus our energies our resources you know everything is diverted to that but still and we have been saying oh 50 50 by 2030 it may be too early but certainly our local bodies should continue to play their critical role in the south south cooperation in realizing the transformative agenda and the agenda with an underline that no one is left behind so south south cooperation whether it is you know within the region we have in our region sarc countries right or we go across the countries right 
because W20 offers going across the countries, you know, G20 countries, barring few European countries, most of them are from, uh, they can come under the term South for that matter. So we can share our experiences, we can replicate, we can, you know, do, but certainly localizing through these local networks will be a great step towards that direction. Thank you very much, Professor Rashput, for this concrete proposal of South-South cooperation around a women's urban network. Uh, now, my last question is for Ms. Giulia Macci. Uh, I would like to ask you uh, if you share the same vision or you maybe feel more optimistic about the future. And uh, uh, about that, what can we do uh, to have more empowered women in the post-coronavirus city? Well, I, I tend to agree. Uh, so I think this, uh, this coronavirus is basically highlighting and even uh, widening uh, the inequalities, existing inequalities, including gender inequalities. And uh, we, we saw and we know about the impacts that is having uh, the coronavirus on the poorest and especially women. Um, so first of all, we need really to act now in the short term to, to limit the, 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 the impact of this virus on, uh, on women, uh, economic uh, and, uh, and health um, uh, immediately. So, for instance, we are working a lot uh, with Citizen Alliance uh, in uh, Liberia and um, in Uganda, but also in Tunisia uh, on different levels. So we are, for example, in Liberia working on, uh, we prepare the awareness campaign uh, in dialogue with um, uh, the Islam dwellers and especially women with very specific messages for women on local radio. For instance, they are the ones that are carrying, uh, they, are, they are carrying the care role mainly. So they are the ones that firstly can recognize symptoms and they can also prevent. So they have the key role to play in this phase, but they also are very affected by uh, the economic implication, the lockdown or, um, or also the health issues. <coughs> Uh, we, in Tunisia, we are developing an app uh, and also emerging in emergency housing for homeless, uh, including women, because it's a very big uh, issue there. And, um, and the app also is, at, is helping women alone or a victim of domestic violence to report and to receive support. And, uh, and also in Uganda, we are working on uh, creating a tent and uh, very temporary and light structures for uh, informal vendors, which are mainly women, as, again, um, to be able, uh, in order to give them the possibility to continue their, uh, their activities, even in the, in the situation of lockdown and uh, social distancing. So, first of all, we need to act now. We, we, do, we have to um, support uh, cities and the local community immediately. But we also have to start to think at long term. And, um, and I think the COVID-19 and lockdown is basically redefining our cities, even in Europe. So how we perceive public spaces, how we perceive our notion of safety, for instance. We, and now we realize that we are not safe. There is no place that is safe, but we are all interconnected. Um, so I hope, uh, this is my hope, that we will have a kind of, the, uh, more a global vision and understanding that we need to act globally and together 
Um, we also, I think this situation also uh, show how our interactions with others, how they are changing and what does it mean also to take care of elderly and, and children. And, uh, and again, the role of state, uh, the role of the public services is key again. So we, we need to refocus on that. And of course, the role of technology as a tool to stay connected, to participate. Um, so I think we cannot go back to the normality. We need to look at these elements uh, with new eyes. So technology, uh, the care, the, the role of public uh, services, the public spaces, the, our interaction, inequalities with kind of new eyes. And we have to... Um, to continue the work that we were doing already with a kind of a more strength and we have to uh, propose uh, new ways of working and producing shared reproductive and care responsibilities, making technology available and accessible for everyone, um, supporting women also in, in using more media and, and technology, and of course addressing inequality of the poorest. So I think a, a kind of women and families perspective for that is key uh, because all these elements are strongly related to uh, feminist city, let's say. Uh, so I think it's important already now to involve uh, women-led organizations, feminist group, um, to share what is already there, what the different um, local communities and cities are already doing and building an action plan and even an investment plan. Uh, with Cities Alliance, we are, we are starting to do that, focusing mainly on informality, so on informal settlements, so really to, uh, to have an action plan ready and to engage donors also to support it, to support uh, actions in the long term in, in informal settlements. Thank, thank you, you so much, much Mitsumachi, and uh, thanks so much to all of our guests for sharing uh, let's say, from one end, uh, the overall situation our cities are facing uh, because of the COVID-19, but at the same time, how are our cities are starting to react uh, and cooperate in order to overpassing the impact, the social impact of COVID-19 in our social and economic life and especially on gender equality and women empowerment. We have the chance of talking about lots of uh, different topics. It was really a pleasure to listen to your experience, your overview and also the sharing of a good uh, practices and a suggestion to overcome this period. We have the opportunity of uh, really stay focused on the gender impact on social economic life of women in the cities. We had uh, absolutely an overview of the uh, let's say negative impact on women uh, in terms of uh, uh, increase of domestic violences but also in terms of loss of jobs and uh, again as we mentioned before often women are the the caregiver of our houses and they should face the challenging of managing uh, domestic unpaid work with uh, uh, elders and ch children cares and 
this could also imply an impact on their health and mental health if we consider that the majority of these women are absolutely continue working in uh, in smart working so is also is also an issue of women's health and women's work life balance and let me also add uh, also on the role of of men in managing uh, caregivers and uh, domestics uh, let's say um, activities uh, we had the chance of uh, share a focus on uh, agenda 2030 and especially on goal number five and the importance of a global multi-stakeholder dialogue and dissemination of content and at the same time we stress the accent on the importance of uh, the relation between goal number five and goal number uh, 11 on sustainable cities and communities. Uh, I'm very happy that we talked about also the role uh, of women, the, import the importance of increase the women representativeness in the in decision making that is really a global issues to overcome and I'm very happy we stress the accent on, on it, on the representations and at the same time as the uh, Tunisian experience showed us also on the importance not only to give the chance to those women to stay in leadership position but to uh, help their, them in uh, uh, experiencing uh, leadership, maybe a new model of uh, leadership inclusive leadership and we talked about also um, related to city on the on the topic of uh, unfortunately on the uh, of feeling unsafe in the cities and urban spaces uh, thank you so much because we talked about lots of interesting and challenging topics your experiences and your point of views were um, very um, interesting and it's uh, um, also inspiring and, and at the same time gave us the opportunity of better understand the situation during lockdown time and hoping uh, imagining new solutions on post-COVID-19 and uh, for supporting gender equality so thank you so much thank you very much uh, thank you Thank you so much. Just let's, uh, let's uh, say thank you to, again, to Ms. Amanda Fliti, coordinator of the Secretariat UCLG Committee on Social Inclusion, Participatory Democracy and Human Rights. Thanks again to Professor Pam Rajput, head of the Indian Delegation of Women 20, G20, and Ms. Julia Machi, lead of the Cities for Women program at City Alliance. Thank you very much. And thank you. Thank you safe. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you very much for listening. This episode has been produced by me, Lorenzo Kilgangrandi. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our podcast.